Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 20 of The Spy Who Loved Mega Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Denji Sentai Mega Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is Matt Jane. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing? Doing pretty well, man. Doing well. Cool. I just, yeah. I mean, you know, so I'm actually doing particularly well right at this moment and partly, Matt. Partly, I gotta say, it's because I, I always find it a joy to get to sit down and talk to you, uh, oh, both you a well. because I like Super Sentai and B just for the pleasure of your company. But it's also partly about what I'm not doing right now, which is watching the presidential debate. Yeah, I think we timed this super well. Yeah, this is about as well as it could have gone. Uh, as I was coming down to do this, my wife was like, "You know what?" I I didn't think I was going to want to watch the debate, but now I kind of do. I think I am going to watch the debate. And I said, that's cool. You go ahead and do that. And I'm going to go downstairs and talk about Japanese superheroes. And we'll see who's in a better mood at the end of our hour and a half. Yep. I think it's going to be me. Probably going to be you. Yeah. You know, I think we are hitting that time of year that like... Man, I do not like dwelling on the political situation in our country. You know, I try to stay informed, but I don't like to, like, really, like, just soak in it. It is not good yeah, for me. it's not me. a hobby. Uh, and, but we are getting to the point of election year where I have found myself, like, man, wonder, uh, wonder, wonder if 538 is like. doing any better this year than it was four years ago. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I should probably compare that against the poll averages from Real Clear Politics. Just, just you know, just for my own mental, you know, just want to make sure that, you know, that various projections are lining up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, see, I, and I think that, honestly, a lot of this comes from, like, being, like, studying political science in college during an election year and getting all of that, like, the rhythm of getting into that really burned into my head. Especially mm. because when we were in college, like, a lot of the websites that I go to check political news during election cycles were, like, they existed then and they exist now. Whereas if I was a few years older, I would have been like, oh, I'll read the paper tomorrow. It's like, no, I, I know the websites where the I will are. go and check the... I used to look at them all day, every day. <laughs> anyway, man. The election cycle is heating up, and we're not yeah. talking about it. I mean, like, hey, listen, guys, as a thing, like, you know, be politically involved and make sure you vote and, uh, you know, research your candidates and stuff. And I, I have done that, but I, it's a job, and it's a, it's a job and a duty. I do it, like, dutifully under duress, not because I'm, I'm like, excited to be part of it. Um, anyways, Matt. Let's not talk about that anymore. You, you know what I am excited to be part of, Dave? is a podcast wherein we are watching today episode 20 of Denji Sentai Mega Ranger. It is called Counting on You, the new robo, Delta Mega. Very exciting. Uh, it is very you, exciting. No love. You, I know that you love a giant robot. But, but, but of course, I do love a giant that, robot. Before we can get into that, uh, we have our officially award-winning opening segment. Dave, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first Star of the Week. So our first Star of the Week, man, is actually, it's a 
It's a pretty big deal, man. Uh, as I've mentioned before on the show, uh, my wife and I, Beth, uh, we have two foster kids. Uh, well, we have three foster kids. Well, actually, none of that is true because now we only have one foster kid. Uh, because this past Thursday, we finalized the adoption for our twins. So they are, they are, they're adopted. They're adopted. They're just our kids now. And, um, it's pretty rad. Like yeah. we're pretty into it. It was super great. And yeah, it's super great. They're just, they're adopted now. Um, so they are super excited. They are like, you would really be so we were to be honest. Cause like we've had them, they've been with us since they were four months old and yeah. they are almost 40 years old now. So, um, you know, we in many ways are the only parents that they've ever known. And we really were not sure if they would like grasp the the idea of being adopted, like what mm-hmm. it like what it meant. And as soon as we explained it to them, because like once we got everything finalized, we you know started talking to them about it, and then we were just been waiting on a court date for a while. And so they knew they were getting adopted. And then like a few weeks ago, when we got the news. We were like, hey, guys, like next month, we're going to go and you are going to be adopted all the way. Like they lost, like in a positive way, they lost it. Like I was genuinely surprised again at like the degree to which like they really like grokked what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, they're adopted now. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it's real. I don't have any like jokes or anything else to say about it. It's just really exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it was very cool because, you know, due to the pandemic, you couldn't, like, go to a court and have a court date. Um, yeah. Because, like, you know, we're just not doing that when we can avoid it um, correct, as a correct. as yeah. a society. Um, so it was like a Zoom call court date, which was weird, but really nice because, like, basically, I just, like, put on a decent shirt and logged into a phone call and you know, I was there for the however long that it took, and then just like a surprisingly closed. short period of time. It took so like twenty short. minutes. Yeah, I took like an hour and a half off of work that morning, assuming it was gonna be a while, uh, and it really wasn't. Um, yeah, but like I was, and- you know, I would have been able to make it because I live in town. But like you know, our sister was able to do it, and she lives in Japan, so it was nice that yeah. we were able to do it that way. That was really I'm like, dude. We had people from all over. Like, we had some friends in from New York. Our sister for our sister from Japan. Um, you know, my wife's family that are out in like Washington and Texas. Like, we a whole bunch of people were able to kind of be there and participate that otherwise, you know, would not have been able to. And that was like, it was it was really really cool. And this was great. The judge told us. Now, maybe she says this to everybody. I don't know. But she did tell us that we set a record, for her at least, for uh, for how many people were on the call. So that oh, was like yeah. a very like warm and, warm and fuzzy feeling that, uh, that so many people were there and were able to join us and, uh, and be part of that, that thing. And then we had, uh, we had a little kind of an open house party in the backyard. People came and wore masks and were far apart and everything, but just got to like stop by and say, Hey, and, uh, that was really weird. Just saw a lot more people in a lot more rapid succession than I have done in six months. Uh-huh. And so that was like, it was cool. What was really weird was how, on one hand, 
like very natural it felt and on the other hand it was like very disconcerting and like kind of uncomfortable to have mm-hmm. that many people around um but anyways that was uh that's what we did we we grilled out and we ate and we hung out and yeah it was great yeah. uh anyway it it feels no matter how I do it, it's going to feel weird to awkwardly transition from that into talking about bread. But Dave, what's our second star of the week? Uh, Matt, our second star of the week, it's Bun Vulcan. Welcome to Bun Vulcan. There's not a great transition out of it, Matt, but this is about as smooth as I can think of, which is I made a cake, uh, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a cake that the twins wanted. They were like, we said, we're going to have a cake. What cake do you want? And they said, we want a chocolate and strawberry cake. And I said to myself, hmm, that's, I actually don't super love, like, it's like, okay, yes, I, of course, will make this cake for you. Sure. But uh, chocolate and strawberry, not traditionally a flavor combo that I actually really love. Like, I am not a chocolate-covered strawberries kind of guy. But I made a chocolate cake, and I did, uh, like, a jam and buttercream mix. I did a layer cake, first of all, which I had never done before, so that was fun. And I did, like, jam and buttercream in the middle. And then I did, I just got, like, artificial strawberry flavoring, like, kind of tastes like strawberry quick. And I just made buttercream with that. And I gotta say... It was actually really good. Yeah, like, I was really nice. very surprised. Yeah, I was very surprised at the degree to which a chocolate strawberry cake like worked for me, and I did not anticipate it working. And it was like a real. It really looked like a real cake, man. Like I yeah, frosted it. it. I did a crumb yeah. coat. Yeah, I did a crumb coat. Which I got to like. I wasn't annoyed at how well it worked. Like I knew it was going to work because a lot of people have who are very good at this have figured out that it works, but it was one of those, like, is it really going to be like as, as different as they say it is? And then you do it and like, yup, it's exactly <laughs> as different as, as you know, like you should have just been doing it the whole time. Now, Dave, of course, but I, I know could, what a crumb uh, code is. Um, because I, you know, I, I just have a, a deep and wide knowledge of all things, but, um, Oh, sorry. A listener a, uh, does not know what a crumb code is and has no idea. Yeah, what so when about. you're, when you're frosting a cake, um, the outside of it is very, like, crummy, you know, like, just because it's a cake, right? So what you do is you take your frosting and you kind of thin it out till it's very, very easily spreadable. And you do a thin scrape of that over the cake. And then you put it in the fridge and the frosting kind of sort of firms up and it stops the cake from kind of falling apart when you go to put more frosting on it. Oh, So nice. you're not just, like, tearing up this soft cake with a... With this, so like, dense you're like frosting. putting down a, a coat of primer, basically. Yeah, it is. It is frosting primer. That's exactly what you're doing. And uh, but I could. I uh, so I did the crumb coat, and I did a second crumb coat because they were like, do two if it's a chocolate cake because they tend to be a little bit crumbly. And so I did it, and then I was putting the frosting on, and I was like smoothing it out with uh, with a frosting knife, and I could feel myself. Like, I could feel the siren call of, like, <laughs> you should get one of those, like, spinny tables so you could really frost this cake. And then I was like, no. Like, I can't. I can't do it, Matt. Like it's in that same Susan. zone as, like, I do own a Lazy Susan. It's in that same zone as, like, uh, like model trains. Like, if you go mm-hmm. down that road, then all of a sudden you're trying to, like, and listen, it's... Uh, Piping buttercream roses is like a super cool skill. I just like in my universe, I don't have space for that right, right now. Right, right, right. 
So like, I just have to block, like maybe someday when I'm older, I'll have men, I'll have space for that in my life right now. I do not have space for that. So anyways, I made this cake, Matt. Uh, how about you, man? Did you do anything? Uh, yeah. So I have for the last like month or so, because like mom and dad were coming into town and then I knew the adoption was coming up. And so I knew I was going to be like seeing you guys. And so I had been staying like very like, like sort of like double extra locked down. You know, like, not socially distanced hanging out with people, like, isolation, non dis you know, like, all distance. No social, yeah, all yeah, distance, yeah, yeah. I, basically. I but I was, I was, I, I think I mentioned to you last week, like, I am going to get a haircut this week. It has been yes. since, like, May. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to put on a mask and go to a place that I, you know, know to be uh, reputable and safe. Uh, but I'm going to go get a haircut this week. So, sort of the days in between when I last saw you and when I'm getting the haircut, I'm like, well, I know that I'm going to have to sort of reset my quarantine after the haircut. So, during these few days, mm -hmm. I will try to see some people, again, you know, in sort of like an outside, as safe as possible way, um, sort of use this time to see a few people, right? And so what this means is I am seeing a bunch of people that I have not seen since I started making bread. Ah, and so nice. I'm like, I'm like, well, I definitely have to make like two extra batches of baguettes this week so that I could like bring right, one. Right now to... you got to flex a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah I like, oh, I'm going to go hang out on your porch. I'll put a bottle of wine and a fresh baguette that I just pulled out of the oven. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, no I'll, big come, deal. I'll, I'll, I'll come meet you. I'll come meet you for a drink. I will bring two baguettes to get sliced up and handed out to everybody who's hanging out at the patio. Um, you know, just just so that you know what I've been up to. Uh, awesome. And Dave, I awesome. got to tell you, no, great it is. results. Great results. Awesome. Loved it. Love it. Anyway, so, Matt, that's, um... that's, that's all for my bread. <laughs> <laughs> what, Matt, is our third star of the week? Dave, third star of the week is that I bought a new video game. Uh, okay, well, nice. actually, that is only, that's only like half true. I bought a new I... video game collection that is three old video games. Okay, uh, so I'm still knee-deep in uh, Kingmaker. Ah, uh, you know, I, I, I've been enjoying Pathfinder Kingmaker, but I... I think I, I I sort of half respect my character. I think I need to like really fully respect my character and maybe just not be a Magus anymore because they don't make much sense to me. Um, but I bought games that did make sense to me, Dave. I bought Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which is great for two reasons. Oh, yeah. Okay. One, because they are great games that I have either yes, not played classics. in a long time or, in the case of Galaxy, kind of never played. I um, am, dude... I don't know why. I think it was just because I never kind of ended up owning... Like, I played a lot of Nintendo games on other people's consoles. Like, mm -hmm. I just kind of never ended up owning a, a Nintendo. Like, since I had a Super Nintendo, and then I had a Wii U. And I didn't have anything in between, and I haven't had... Like, I don't have anything. I don't have a Switch or anything. Right. And so, I just sort of, like... Like, I played Super Mario World, and then we I just kind of, like, inadvertently tapped out of the whole Mario genre. Uh, well, I'll like, not you, Dave, on purpose. They're you great are, games. If you were interested in getting into the 3D Mario games, Super Mario 3D All-Stars is there for you. Because, I mean, you remember Super Mario All-Stars for the Super yeah. Nintendo, which was yeah, great. Yeah, for sure do. And actually, Super Mario so All-Stars is now, like, one of the free-to-stream games if you have the Nintendo... 
Switch Online subscription. Oh, so I've been cool. going back in and like specifically playing the Super Nintendo re-releases of those games. Do uh, they have a Super Mario RPG? Um, yeah, I think they do actually. That game is it's a very good game. Is it is a dramatically better role playing, like computer role playing game than I kind of assumed going into it. 20 yeah. years well, ago. it's a SquareSoft game, you know, like it's it's a combined Nintendo SquareSoft property. Anyway, but I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario Galaxy. Um, and it is so wild because Mario 64 came out in 1996. And when oh, you, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's weird is that, like, obviously the game shows its age, right? And like the camera control is objectively terrible. But, like, if you can sort of get past those things, the fact is, like, it is a game from 1996, and if you play it, it feel it still feels good to play. Like, the movement of Mario from No, I absolutely know what you mean. Like, it, it set the bar in 1996 for, like, what a 3D platformer could be. And, like, decades later, you're like, yeah, actually, this is still good. Nice. Like, it's not still the best, because there have been new Mario games, but, like, it's still yeah, very but... good. And Mario Sunshine came out in 2002, which, again, a lot a lot older than I kind of remembered it being. And straight up, like, it still looks good. Like, Mario in Mario Sunshine basically looks like Mario now. Like, I know if I were to play it and then immediately play Odyssey, I would see a difference. You would, but it, yeah. But, but, like, the visuals of Mario Sunshine still don't feel, like, old and junky. It's kind well, of Well, you know, crazy. man, I think they they established, like, they did something real smart, which is they established really early on, like, a kind of like, sort of, like, blocky, round, cartoony vibe for it. And so you can, like, it's pretty easy. Like, it holds up, you know what I mean? Like, I was just playing, not super recently, but I was playing uh, Mario Kart 8. And mm-hmm. I was like, Mario Kart 8 slash infinite? I don't know. And I was like, dang, this is like this is a really, really good game. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, the most recent Mario Kart rules. Uh, anyway, Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Very fun. Still haven't gotten to Galaxy. The mechanics of it kind of screw with me. So I'm waiting until I get through the other ones first. What is our third Star of the Week? Our fourth Star of the Week uh, <laughs> is a quick British television update. If somehow you haven't heard, uh, it's uh, the British Bake Off is back. It's on Netflix, and now they are dropping it in an episodic way. So we're not, we're getting it like, you know, a few days after it airs in England. So we're not able to binge the whole thing. So that's a little bit of a bummer. But the show's back on. It's really cool. Uh, It's, it is, it's just, man, it's just great. It's great. Um, They like, the only weird thing about this year is that, you know, obviously like, everything is everything and so they were like hey if you would like to be on bake off we would love to have you but you are gonna need to stay here the whole time like you can't go back and see your family oh like everyone like, gets the tested beforehand of... and then they're just like playing in the bubble yeah, like, like sh- the nba yeah like exactly like show up quarantine for two weeks and then we'll start shooting um 
And so that is like a very like new and weird dynamic because normally like they just go like you go show up for the weekend and then you go home and hang out with your family and all sorts of other stuff. So it does have like sort of a weird edge of intensity to it this year. Um, But it's also very cool because like there is a, a way in which like the people that are doing the show are sort of like, no, man, there must we need to do the bake off like you have to do it. And so, like, we bakers will sacrifice, like, seeing our families so that the bake-off can still go on. Um, It's this really, like, it has a sort of beautiful nobility to it. Uh, And then the other really wild thing is there's a contender, a contestant this year who's young. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, so he's, like, he's, like, 20 or something. or, Or something like that. I don't know. He's young. And he said... He, like, does something with a cake. He's, like, checking to see if it's done. And he's like, this is a trick I picked up from watching this dude on season three when I was a kid. And it was like, oh, wow. So, like, now we're here. Right. Now, now we are, yeah. like, a, we're a generation deep on this show. Um, and now things are getting wild. So there's that. And then also uh, Taskmaster. Taskmaster is coming back. There's, dude, there's oh, season 10 of Taskmaster. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever talked about Taskmaster on this show. Here's the joy of Taskmaster. is uh, It's all on YouTube. Like, it's all on YouTube. You can just go watch it. Uh, you don't need to have any subscriptions or anything. Here's what Taskmaster is. <laughs> if you've never watched this show. Uh, it is he has one photographic the- reflexes. So if you throw a shield at him, he knows exactly how you did it. Yeah, um, he's super dangerous to fight. Uh, the only person that he really doesn't like to fight, I think, is Deadpool, because Deadpool is, like, so erratic in his combat style. The other Taskmaster, the one that is from England, I actually don't know where Taskmaster is from. Is he from England? He could be. Probably not. Anyways, probably not. None of this is the point. Taskmaster the show is uh, one of the one of the greats in the venerable series uh, or genre of English television, which is like give comedian, get comedians in a room and just sort of give them something to like coalesce humor around. Mm-hmm. But what the show is, there's uh, Greg Davies is the host and he has another guy, Alex Horn, who is the producer, but plays the role of, of being the assistant. And they just get a bunch of comedians and they make them do absurd things. And then they like pro- uh, ahead of time and then they tape them and then they just like show them videos of them doing these absurd tasks like like crazy stuff and uh and then greg davies judges them and gives them points and it's really funny and there's this is one of those stars like this is a psa star like there's no great way to make jokes about the jokes that they make but it's a right. very but funny like, show if, you, you if you're interested it. if this has whetted your appetite for actual humor uh, go watch that show. <laughs> right. This is sort of an amuse-bouche of comedy. Oh, dude, speaking of, um, speaking of British TV, this is not a British TV show, but it is a TV show that takes place in England. Um, that's pretty close. I, because I, I got like a free subscription to Apple TV Plus when I bought an iPad for like work reasons uh, earlier in the year. They're just like, hey, you bought a product. Here's a free year of our streaming service. Which I haven't really dipped into, um, but there is a show that is airing currently, and it's called Ted Lasso, uh, and it has no right to be really, really good, but it is really, really good. 
It is based oh. on a series of commercials for NBC Sports that uh, Jason Sudeikis did a few years ago. Where an ah, American... okay, there you go. Jason Sudeikis. As soon as you, if yeah. you said it does has no right to be as good, and then you said Jason Sudeikis, you've immediately contradicted yourself. Well, Dave, it's based on an NBC Sports commercial from like two or three years ago where a okay, American football coach gets a job teach or coaching uh, uh, soccer in, you know, football, you know, non-American football at like a premier right. club in London. Um <laughs> <laughs> and so, like the, the the premise, you're like, oh, he's just is like, he this... from Texas? He's from Texas. Right? He's from Kansas. Oh, okay, that's a close close and, second. I and so, it. like the the premise on its face is like, oh, well, here's like this buffoon who is in over his head. But then you watch the show, and like, a, it's very funny, and b, it is like so sweet and wholesome, without being like saccharine. It's like it, it's kind of hard to describe the vibe, except to say that it is, uh, like the the guy behind the show, like the showrunner, producer, whatever, is the one of the main guys who is behind Scrubs. And if you remember that particular vibe of like humor and warmth that Scrubs had, and I know that people probably don't remember that Scrubs is good because I feel like in cultural memory, Scrubs is like a. A, a dorky show about a cheesy guy, but Scrubs was actually a funny show about a lot of people. Anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I'm definitely, if you had to delete, like, you know, choose one, like Scrubs or The Office, like, I don't have to think about that for a a fraction of a second. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- the Office is, yeah, forget The Office. The Office is dumb garbage. You keep Scrubs. Yeah. Uh, and Scrub- you just don't watch season nine. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I don't believe there was a season nine. Um, good point, good point. I I don't know what you're talking weird about. Weird moment and, Anyway, anyway, Ted Lasso kind of hits that same thing, but it's Jason Sudeikis Love it. uh, at its heart, and it's really good. He's just like, Dave, it's just a show about a good man, uh, and it's it's <sighs> just very man. nice to watch a good man try his best like against like people who don't believe in him but he doesn't get mad at the fact that they don't believe in him because he's just a good man working. And, like, I cannot tell you how, like, like just great it is to watch yeah, a show that sounds, like that. Man, that sounds really great. That sounds just genuinely great. Yeah. He's got this whole... If you, if you never watch the show... Okay, if you are going to watch the show, don't look this up. If you're not going to watch the show, just look up on YouTube Ted Lasso playing darts. It's extremely good, and it's more on, like, the warmth side than the humor side, but, like, it is extremely satisfying. That's just, like, a quick... Anyway, that's all I got on that. If you if you happen to have Apple TV+, Plus, watch Ted Lasso. All right, Matt, what is our fifth star of the week? Dave, fifth star of the week is, uh, you may have recalled, Dave, and our listeners, that we did not have an episode last week. The reason for that was, remember two weeks ago, I was talking about how I was looking for a house? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was partly the adoption, and then it was also... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I was... uh, It wasn't just you, is what I'm saying. Sure. Um, Last week, I very nearly bought a house. I had been looking for a house for like a week. And I, and I found a house that had this great kitchen, and it's pretty close to where I live, and it was within my price It range. was a nice house! And I was like, oh, 
okay, I've, I've looked at three houses this week, and this is the one that I'm going to buy. So I, like, put in an offer on a house. Uh, like, I signed paperwork and talked to a real estate agent and said, like, I will give you X number of thousands of dollars to, like, buy this house. And yeah, then... It's a lot. It's a lot of thousands, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, not I wasn't offering as many as they wanted, but, you know, I, I put in the offer, and then they came back with a counteroffer, and then I just stewed on it for days. Like, and it's not that the counteroffer was bad. It's that I found that I was not, I couldn't get myself excited about living on that street, in that house, like in that neighborhood. Well, there you go, man. And I just like, you know, it didn't feel like home, and so I ended up pulling the plug. But, like, man, it is, I I realized something, which is, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm still a few years off from, like, midlife crisis zone. Like, I'm 36. I'm, like, I feel like midlife crisis is, like, I think of that as 40. And, like, like 40 and the few years after 40, right, is, like, midlife. That's classic. You know, that's your classic one. That's the yeah. classic, you know, somebody throws you a birthday party and they give you a card and it's black and it says you're over the hill. Like, that's midlife crisis zone. I'm like a mm-hmm. few years away from that yet, right? Yeah. Hey, can we make a pact, Matt? Can yeah, we we're not doing that. make a pact to just, you know, just to not do that? Absolutely. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah But I realized, like, I, in the course of a week, I almost bought a house because I, like kind of panicked about my living situation. I I get why people like have a midlife crisis and buy a red Ferrari that they probably can't afford. Like, like Yeah, like I get like, it. It actually does make sense when you're when you're sort of staring it in the face yourself. Yeah, like that's one of those things that like through a telescope you're like, what a dumb moron. And then as you get closer and you can see it with your naked eyes or your glasses, I guess mm-hmm. in our case, you're like, oh no, okay. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of gray hair, and, I'm, and I have a lot of anxiety about the future. I can understand signing a piece of paper that says I'll give someone $119,000. <laughs> uh, anyway, didn't do that. Stayed in the apartment for now. Still keeping my eye open for houses, though. Definitely still keeping my ear to that ground and keeping my eyes open. And you know what else I'm doing with those eyes, Dave? I'm watching Denji Sentai Mega Ranger. Specifically, episode 20, Counting on You, the new Robo, Delta Mecha. We are going to take a break, and we are going to talk about it when we come back in a moment. All right, welcome back. So, we have seen episode 20 of Denji Sentai Mega Ranger. Oh, gosh, I didn't write down any of the stuff that I normally write down about the episode, like who wrote it and what its original air date was. Uh. <laughs> well, while you're looking that up, uh, it uh, they they done 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 gone and did the did the darn thing. They did the dang um, thing. They delivered. They did the dang thing. Um, the title delivers, and we do in fact have a new robot. Uh, it's very exciting. Yes, uh, it's called Delta Mega, as you may have guessed. Sure, sure. Um, and you know who did the dang thing and when? Dave, this episode was written I by don't. Ju- this episode was written by Junki Takagama. Uh, its original air date was June 29th, 1997. I had just finished my first, my freshman year of high school. Is that true? 
No. I was just about to go into high school. Sorry. I was going to say, I would have just finished seventh just grade. A... It's very easy yeah, I was for just me about to, to go into high school. I finished first grade in 91 and I finished second grade in 92. And it's it just sort of like, you know, it's that way the whole way through. Oh, yeah. And then you just sort of tracks. Yeah, because mom did text me the other day. She was like, hey, here's a wild thought. Uh, you graduated, like, come the end of this upcoming school year. You graduated from high school 20 years ago. Fascinating. And I said, wow. Yep. Yep, sure did. Uh, so anyways, we go from there. We go from t- my high school graduation 20 years ago to the Desiree dimension. And it is, uh, things are bad. Things are bad. Things are pretty crazy. Yeah, things are there in the Nazare dimension. Things are especially bad for Crocodile Nazare One. Yeah. Now I thought that the concern was that Crocodile Nazare was like too wild and crazy, and so he was like chained up to restrain his like incredible power. Turns out that is not the case. Uh, he is chained up. That's very true. But he is chained up because Gyrell is torturing him. Yes, well, specifically, Guy Rail is torturing him with weird science experiments. And when I say weird yes, science with... experiments, I mean demonic science. Yeah, that is the that is the way less goofy version of weird science. <laughs> weird science is mostly like fun and about like a hot young Kelly LeBrock. Uh, this is really more about horrifying crocodile monsters. Right. So there's a real there's a strong split there. Yeah, very different. Both entertaining. Now in their own we way. do get a, we do get a quick uh, a quick bit of exposition here, which is Guyrail mentioned something, or maybe it's Shibalina, but they mentioned something about the fact that like Shibalina is the one who adapted Nezaregian demonic science and perfected the uh, cloning technology. So this is not something that is like broadly uh available i guess like shibalina is the one who who figured this out which is very cool yeah and so guy rail is subjecting uh crocodile nazare to it um he's also like hitting on shibalina in a very awkward way uh which she is not thrilled about yeah she is definitely not this is <laughs> this is definitely like bad office romance yeah. through the lens of like horrifying interdimensional monsters um, so he's saying that Crocodile Nezere can be reborn. And what I think he yes. means in this is that Crocodile Nezere is a monster that I have seen and forgotten and that he is like bringing him back. That's not what he means at all. But it's not exactly it clear is in not. this moment. Yeah. So what he does is he pulls out his, is this where he pulls out his big like extendo sword and... He like he sort of omens it, and then he just slashes Crocodile Nazare like real, real bad. And then we get like a little bit of a special effect, and then Crocodile Nazare kind of hydras, right? Yeah, he not like, like Hail Hydra, the actual monster. Right. Okay, so we cut away from the Nazare dimension, and we are going to the Mega Rangers. They are on a ship. They are like shuttling themselves up to space. They have been suddenly summoned, and they don't know why they have been summoned. But when they arrive, they see that attached to the mega ship, there is like a, a big space scaffolding, uh, that it, and in there something is being constructed. Yes. So they they kind of fly. Now, this is kind of weird. I don't really know. Like they took the ship up, like the head shuttle. Mm-hmm. They 
they take it up and they have to dock it. I don't know why it was down on Earth to begin with when they can when they can just cyber slide. Anyways, I was just confused about it. I think they did it that way because they wanted to have them have a conversation in a cockpit, and that's the only cockpit they have. That does actually make a lot, <laughs> does make a lot of sense. So they they go up and they're like, Dr. Kabuta, what's going on? And uh, Kenta is very interested. And he says, it's a new robot. New robot, y'all. Uh, because like the Nezere have ramped up. Right. So we have to be ready. And since they ramped up last week, we're going to be ready for them this week by constructing a skyscraper-sized building. Yeah. Pretty quickly. Now, they have built the machine... But they have not yet, like, installed the OS, right? Like, it's just a, a machine that cannot function at this moment. Um, like, Yeah. Oh, we uh, there's a quick mention that it's the Battle Riser. Like, there's some connection specifically between the Battle Riser and this new robot. Yes, the Battle Riser, if you recall, is a special secondary bracelet that uh, Kenta was given in the previous episode that lets him do, like, special punches. And apparently yes. there's also, like, a microphone in that that is the voice activation key for uh, Delta Mega. Yeah. So Kenta is uh, immediately, I think as soon as he finds out that like Battle Riser is the control mechanism, he's like, I think as we all would be very excited that he has sort of a personal robot now. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kubota says this new Professor Kawasaki, who we've never met before, um, I thought, that it was going to be, when they just said Professor Kawasaki, I thought they were going to talk, uh, it was going to be that same dude that did the programming for Galaxy Mega in like episode three or four. Oh, that guy, right. When they were going to turn Galaxy Mega yeah. into an automated robot. Yes, I thought it was going to be the same guy. I'm pretty sure it isn't, and that is very weird to me. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> That they have, they have introduced two different specialists, two, two different in guys, giant yeah, who specialize in programming the AI for automate for giant robots. As they are having this conversation, a guy who is about the age of the Mega Rangers like storms in and says, "Like old man, why have you fired me? I'm the chief engineer of this base. You need me. Why are you sending me back to Earth?" First of all, I love that this dude is chief engineer. That's amazing. Because he is 17 years old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Kenta does not recognize this guy. And so Kenta is immediately like, hey, who are you, bastard? Like, to interrupt us and to, like, talk to the old man like that. And the new guy's like, shut up, monkey face. And then, uh, and then they, <laughs> like, get they in, just immediately... They're having a fight. Dr. Kubota breaks in and shouts, monkey man and the bastard must get along. And man, like, Monkey Man and the Bastard is such a great band name. Oh, dude, I didn't even think about that. Monkey Man and the Bastard, what's their, what's their genre, Matt? Okay, actually, you know what I'm thinking I feel of? Like... There, is, there is a, uh, I think there's a Bob Dylan song called Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Um, I feel like Monkey Man and the Bastard are, hmm. Or they're a morning radio DJ duo. Okay, that would work, but I also hate morning radio DJs. So I get the vibe that they are, maybe they're like a ska? I think they would be maybe early second wave. 
okay, okay, I can dig it. Mark, feel free to tag in here if you've got something to say. You may not know this. I don't know if we've ever brought this up before, but producer Mark is an original rude boy. And uh, if you are of a certain age, and that age is about how old we are, there was a period where like everybody loved ska. And everyone's like, Ska is it. Like, everyone's going to dig Ska forever. And then uh, everybody stopped listening to Ska, except producer Mark, who I am, like, semi-convinced keeps the entire Ska record industry going more or less by himself. He certainly keeps my awareness of it alive. Yeah, that is definitely true. Uh, Yeah. Um, So, anyways... So Monkey Man and the Bastard must get along. We go from there. Yeah, like it, probably like 10 minutes later. You know, the, the mechanic has been sent away. Yeah. Kentit goes like into the dormitories of the mega ship to go find him. And guys, if I try to convince you how little these dormitories look like they are inside of A, a giant robot, B, which is in space, I feel like you would not believe me. No, I mean, they look like college dorms. Yeah, they look like very upscale college dorms or like a very low-rent hotel. Kind of like right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And you go and like uh, Kenta finds uh, Shogo is his name. Shogo? Shugo? Shugo? I don't know. The mechanic. I get a little thrown off because Jubilee's baby is named Shogo and I have been reading a lot of X-Men comics recently. Right, but this is spelled differently than that because this has a U in it. It's S-H-O-U-G-O. And Shogo in the X-Men comics is just S-H-O-G-O. And I don't know if that's actually a different thing or if it's just written differently. Just like a transliteration error. So anyways, let's just go with Shogo. Anyways... Uh, he find, Kenta finds Shogo's room, and he goes in, and I swear to you, the dresser that is in that room was in my college dorm room. <laughs> so Kenta apologizes, and he says, listen, man, uh, clearly we didn't know each other. Now, I can understand that's only wild to me in one direction. I can see where Kenta may not know like all of the support staff even the important one who fixes up Galaxy Mega. That you would be the chief engineer on Galaxy Mega and not recognize the Mega Rangers is is buck wild. Oh no, I'm sure Shogo recognized Kenta. Oh, and just does not care. Yeah, and just doesn't care because he's like, you constantly break this giant robot that is also my home and it is my job to clean up your mistakes. We have not talked about that in a little while, but everybody who works on Galaxy Mega does also live there, and, like, his dorm room is just in, like, Galaxy Mega's leg or something. Right, like, every time they have gone to battle against a giant monster, Shogo has also been there. Yeah, like, the entire INET space staff is just in there. I don't know. Like, they must have some crazy seatbelts, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder, do they have to, like, send them all? Like, all right, man, we're about to go fight. Everybody go sit in the chest so at least you won't get, like, whipped against your left wall. <laughs> yeah, try it, to it must be something like Galactic that. Like, Saber. Like, the entire chest cavity just has to be, like, rows and rows of seats with harnesses. Yeah, I'm just sort of imagining uh, the Texas Twister from uh, Giaga Lake. 
mm-hmm. but just like a lot of that and the entire like all of these like brilliant PhDs and highly trained technical people just hoping that a bunch of high schoolers <laughs> managed to pilot, to pilot their skyscraper battle robot correctly. <laughs> you know, when you say it like that, it really I went does... to Harvard for this. Yeah. And like the, the the first one or two episodes, we're like, are we really going to let these people be the pilots? And they're like, we genuinely have no choice. We put them in the costumes. and Like, we kind of already them. did it. Like, I can, you can really feel why that would be a problem when you remember that they all live there. <laughs> so, so, anyways, he's like, listen, man, I'm, um, he's like, I'm really sorry. Uh, you know, we, we didn't really know each other. Um, and and he's like, but why did why did you get fired? Like that's crazy. If you're the head technician, and Shargo says, listen, I I actually misspoke. I found out like I didn't actually get fired in that sense. Basically, my dad is Professor Kawasaki, and he has only agreed to give this programming over for the new robot if I come home, right? Because he wants me to like he wants me to. I dropped out of. I think he says he dropped out of. He dropped out University. of high school. I don't think... No, he dropped out oh, of high okay. school so before he graduated. So he was probably like a high school senior who dropped out to join INET to like be a engineer. And yes. he's like, my dad is a professor at a university and he is insisting that I come home and I attend the university where he teaches. He has my whole life planned out for me. I don't want to do it, but they won't... He just won't give them the program while I'm still here. He's like lording it over them and we need this robot. So I have to go home. Yeah. And Kent is like, I like, let's go down together. And like, I will help. It definitely will not. Right. Like I'm mega red. Um, That's, that's gotta have some sort of clout. It doesn't, uh, but he thinks it does. And so he, and the two of them agree, like we will go talk to your dad together. They go down to the other four mega rangers are like, why are you the one doing this? You are like absolutely all, going to make this work. Us. Yeah, like you are just going to roll in and like try to fight with this dude verbally. And when he defeats you verbally, you will just try to punch him. Like you are the worst person to do this. And Kent is like, no, no, no. Like, um, I'm cool. Like, this will yeah. be great. And for some reason, they're like, well, I guess if you say so, go ahead. Uh, there's a quick Nazare alert. So the other Rangers rush, rush off and they're like, listen, we'll handle this. You go with Shogo and talk to your dad because like we need you to be part of this fight. But we also need Shogo and we need the programming. So like you just try to sort that part of it out. Right. They go and they're, you know, they're fighting um, Kune Kune. It's not like a huge deal. Right. No, no, no. That's right. No, I'm sorry. That is a mistake. They are fighting Crocodile Nazare. But we will get to that. I think yeah, yeah. They show up. There's some kune kune there, and they're, like, looking around, and there's a pond there. And they're like, what's going on in the pond? And then, like, we, of course, know. Dramatic irony. Uh, Crocodile jumps out, and then they're fighting him. Um, I think it's Dude, Shun, Shun drops, like, a... It's a great flying Shun, elbow. It's awesome. It's a great flying elbow. It's so good that both of us put it in our notes, apparently. Yeah. Um, Prehensioning, by the way. Which is what makes it great, I think. Otherwise, I think it would that's be a really cool the move, key there. But seeing like June or Shun rather with like his great hair flowing in the wind while he's dropping that elbow, just is amazing, a real powerful elbow. And it's not a dropped uh, elbow; a... it's a flying elbow. It's like a it's like a horizontal move. Very good. 
Yeah, it's like a, uh, imagine like an Ong Bak style flying elbow. That's kind of will put you in the right zone. So, anyway, uh, they defeat uh, Crocodile Nazare like kind of immediately. It's well, a very brief fight. Sort of. It is. He's pretty strong, but they get in like some really solid licks, and he does have like weird uh, tail, tailticle, tentatail. Basically, he has tentacle arms, but they're crocodile tails. Yeah, one of his arms is a crocodile tail instead of an actual arm. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, but basically, they defeat it. I don't think they actually even defeat him. He just sort of gets, like, staggered. And then, then BBDB shows up, and he just goes giant. Yeah. Like, he does not wait to die. So, up and in space. And they're like, space, oh, dang. Yeah. They, uh, and they summon Galaxy Mecha. Like, this is this is escalated very quickly. Um up in space, uh, Dr. Hanelar is talking to the crew, and Guy Rail is like, yeah, listen, stage two of this plan is that I need to go down, and I need to stop Inet's plan. Because Inet's plan is that they have gotten a dude who is, has like designed the program for a new giant robot. He doesn't work for Inet, but he's working with Inet. His name is Dr. Kawasaki. And Dr. Hanelar is like, oh, dude. I know Dr. Kawasaki. Like, he doesn't say... Yeah, like, I, I know, know that guy. He doesn't say, I know Dr. Kawasaki because I used to be a human on Earth, as, like, revealed in a previous episode. He just says, oh, Dr. Kawasaki, that is the leading, like, robotics programmer on Earth. Like, he is he is the dude. Yeah, like, if they're getting him in to program their new giant robot, we actually... Yeah, you are right. We need to go stop that dude. Go down and deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we jump from there to uh, Heisei Technical College, which is where Dr. Kawasaki teaches. And it's uh, Shogo and Kenta and Dr. Kawasaki. And he's like, Dr. Kawasaki says, there's like a lot of like talking. He's like, I have decided your future. You will continue my research. And <laughs> Kenta's like, no, you have to let him go. And Dr. Kawasaki is like, who even, who are you? Who are you? Like, and he's, and he's like, like, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm Mega Red. And he like strikes a pose. Dr. Kawasaki. And Dr. Yeah, Kawasaki Dr. Kawasaki's like, just like he's like, "You're Mega Red? They let a kid do this? That's very stupid." I still don't care about what you have to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just completely unimpressed. And um, actually, in a moment, this makes a lot of sense because, like, Shogo is mad. He storms off because Shogo. Okay, Shogo tries to say. Now that I'm back, you need to give them the program. And Dr. Kawasaki replies, like, well, you're back. You know, that's, I'll fill up my uh, half of the bargain. You have come back. I will give them the program. And Shogo says, I am not actually back. Like, I am absolutely going up to space on the next shuttle. I'm just coming down here to talk to you. At which point, Professor Kawasaki... And to get this program. Yeah, and to get the program. And Kawasaki says, well, you can't have the program... If you're going back, that is what I said before. I don't know if you were listening. Shogo storms off. Dr. Kawasaki and Kenta are talking. I do love that on the surface, uh, Dr. Kawasaki is 100% like, I will endanger the lives of, I guess, everybody on Earth for the sake of having my son do this thing. Yes. Now, it it turns out this is not quite the case. Right. Because Kenta, yeah, Kenta says to him, like, dude, he's our chief engineer. He's very important. He's and, and he's doing a really good job. He is succeeding in the life that he wants. Like, why won't you support him? 
And Dr. Kawasaki's like, and oh, Dr. yeah, I know. I know he's doing great. He's crushing it. Yeah, like, I'm a genius. He's a genius. You know, like, of course he's great at it. Right. The The reason I actually want him back is because he lives inside Galaxy Mega, and I don't want him to die. And, like, that's that's it. <laughs> that is the entire reason. And he doesn't want to admit that to Shogo or to anybody else, but he's like, yeah, my like, once a week, you put my, like, you, who is apparently a teenager you personally. and an idiot... And I'm just finding that out now, so that's not helping this situation. Like, you personally put my son's life in danger literally once a week. And I don't want it. I have the authority to be able to flex here, and I'm bringing my kid home. (laughs) So, we jump from there. Uh, Galaxy Omega is actually doing very well. Crocodile uh, goes down pretty fast, and they bust out Galaxy Saber, and they basically cut Crocodile in half, except they don't. I mean, they do, but it doesn't matter, because again, what we saw before is that he he Hydras. He Hell Hydras, Immortal Hydra. Yeah. Cut off one head, two will Cut one off, and two will take its place. Hell Hydra, Immortal Hydra. Anyways, uh, this obviously is very bad. Yeah, extremely bad. It seems like the sort of situation that should really be addressed by two giant robots. <laughs> well, but see, you know, that would be fine, except there's only one giant robot, Matt, and they don't have the programming for the other one. Speaking of that, Matt, Kent is basically like, Professor, please. And Kawasaki just says, no. And Kent is like, well, fine. Then I'm just sitting here. And, like, that's his plan. He's just going to sulk on the couch in this man's spacious office. I mean, I, I have it in my notes that this is actually a good tactic. Mind. Because, like, Dr. Kawasaki does not want to spend a moment longer with Kenta than he has to. The fact that Kenta is so annoying and abrasive, he's just like, I will inflict my presence on you until you submit, is actually kind <laughs> of genius. <laughs> inadvertent though it may be so uh while they're sitting kawasaki's like nah. and he reaches into his drawer and he pulls out a photo and it's him and shogo and presumably shogo's wife or shogo's mom slash his wife it's not clear i get the vibe that she's dead that is also they don't the say vibe that, that at I all have. yeah like but uh but that seems clear to me yeah like his wife is dead his son is still alive but is in constant danger so he's doing everything that he can to like keep him safe at least yes anyway while he is doing this we hear shogo like scream from out the window and down the hill because uh, guy rail and a bunch of kunikune have arrived to capture uh the professor, because they're like, oh, well, like, this is the dude we need to go stop. He has the program. And Shogo just sort of happens to be in the way. They hear him shout. Professor Kawasaki and Kenta both run out to go find them. Yeah, Kenta gets in it just as Kenta and actually is doing uh, doing very well, which is neat. Yeah, he's doing very well Guy against the Kunikune up. until Gyrail shows up. Yeah, and then that's that he is not prepared for Gyrail. There's lots of yelling. Uh, Gyrail grabs Shogo. And he's like, give me the program or I'll kill your son. And um, there is a lot of drama about this, especially considering that, like, there's just no way that there's only a single copy of that. Like, you can just control, just control paste, man. 
like control V this thing. Like you should be fine. I looked it up. Copy paste was invented in 1973. This should not be an issue. Yeah, Dave, but you got to remember that uh, this was the era of CD-ROMs. This was not in like a thumb drive. He burned the program to a CD-ROM, which we will see in a minute. And it's great. Yeah. And I guess there's, there's one CD. There's just, that was the last one. That's the last writable CD-ROM. Well, Dave, he had used up all the rest of it on, you know, printing out DIVICs, uh, <laughs> like, discs, uh, like, you know, like a full spool of anime on DIVICs that he can plug into VLC player and watch on his laptop. This is probably oh, a few man, years before that. Days. Did watch, well, not that many years, Matt. Uh, did watch a lot of anime that way in high school. When, do I, I Witch th- Hunter Robin? I might still have a, t- like a, t- like a Rubbermaid tub of spools of Divix discs from college. I do. I definitely do still have some around. Um, in a CD, like a book style CD holder. Oh yeah, with a zipper. So anyway, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, that's how you kept all your CDs from falling out. Good times, man. Sometimes uh, we partially. Sometimes, sometimes good. Sometimes good. Feeling great about remembering some cool memories right about now. In particular, I gotta say. Anyway, so Kenta comes back. Kenta. Oh no, I'm sorry. I've missed a crucial moment, and I apologize for that, is that Shogo kind of shimmies himself free from Gairel and the Kunekunes. Like, only for a minute, right? Like, he kind of, like, kicks one guy in the side and worms his way out of the headlock and starts to run away. It's actually pretty impressive. Uh, Gairel just grabs him again. But this all gives Kenta time to secretly hench in and come back to the fight. Yes. Uh, I do want to, man, have we talked about how Drill Saber is fun, but also very weird? It's extremely weird. It's extremely weird because it's not a sword. It is just a very long drill, which if all he ever did was stab people with it would make sense. But he mostly slashes people with it. And it's just an odd. The thing is, if the drill was spinning... All the time, if you slashed somebody with it, there was like, you know, there's some like drill tearing action that could happen, right? Yeah, but the, except it doesn't. Yeah, the problem is it's it's not an actual drill, it's a prop, and so he's just swinging this spiral at people, and it's weird. Yeah, um, anyways, so he he uses uh, battle, he shoots at Guy Rail, but Guy Rail's, that is kind of Guy Rail's thing, by the way, he's like, uh, he's very fast. Yeah. Like, he's super duper fast. And uh, so he tries to shoot him, but Guy Rail's too fast. And then he does Battle Riser, and but that and so that works. And Guy Rail's like, "Oh dang, that's like pretty impressive, actually." And then he just like blasts Kenta and and dips. Okay, so Guy Rail leaves. Shogo turns to his dad. He's like, "Dad, you've like, please, you've got to give him the program, like the because specifically, like the enemy is getting stronger, and we're not going to be able to do anything about it unless we have another robot." And, like, as if to illustrate this point, Dr. Kubota, in this moment, messages to Kenta. He's like, hey, things are going very bad because one giant robot is fighting two giant monsters. And it's they're outnumbered. And, like, anything you can do to help, like, please get over there to help them. Kenta's like, cool. Um, wish this would have gone better, but I got to go. My friends are in danger. He turns and he starts to run off. Dr. Kawasaki yes. stops him. He's like, listen, like... 
He pulls out. He pulls like, out right, that man, same, I get it. Uh, picture of the the wife and Shogo, and he like pulls it. He pulls the photograph out, and what it actually is is like a CD case that he has like put a photo in as though it is a locket, which is an interesting way to use a jewel case. So weird, yeah, you know. Is like here's the CD. Um, take it up, install it, and like if you install this CD into Delta Mega, everything will be cool. Go, good luck, and and then he also says. I should learn to live fearlessly like you two. Which is, I don't know, it's a nice sentiment. I mean, he no, doesn't have it. superpowers, so he should probably have slightly more fear than Kenta, but. <laughs> um, we get a great, so he does, Kenta like puts the CD in a pocket, which like, I, I guess the Mega Ranger costumes have pockets, which hasn't come up before, but that's yeah. pretty wild. Um, and then he does the cyber slider thing, and uh, I only mention it because the cyber sliders are just really cool. <laughs> the cyber sliders are great. They're flying surfboards that can go to space. Like, like you know, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee knew that that was cool in the 60s. It was still cool in the 90s, and it's still cool today. Yeah, it actually is extremely cool, and I do love the Silver Surfer. Anyways... So, uh, he's, we see Kenta, he like gets up to Galaxy Mega, or not Galaxy Mega, sorry, uh, Delta Mega. Yeah. Mega Delta? Delta Mega. Delta Mega. And oh, then we get this whole weird thing. Yeah, we're like, apparently the access point is like somewhere down in the bowels of the engine, and he has to like make his way up. Like through the mechanics of Delta Mega to like find the control room. Yeah. So like he land and and I think I mean the reason they're doing this is because of course Shogo knows every inch of the inside of Delta Mega because he's been building him right. Like he's the chief engineer, and so he's like on the radio with Shogo like, hey, where do I go? What do I do? Finally, they get to like this control room. And he, like, presses a button, and something pops open, and two disk drives open. And this far into Delta Mega, like, the reception is sort of breaking up. And so he can just barely kind of hear Shogo say, you've got to put the disk in one of these two things. If you don't put it in the right one, instead of installing the operating system, it will activate the self-destruct. But Kenta cannot hear him say which one is which. So the thing that is wild to me is that, A, that's an option that exists at all, and B, why are they so close together? And why aren't they labeled? It's not like, it's not like this is supposed to be a secret. Yeah, it's, it's absolute madness. Uh, <laughs> and the thing that, okay, here's what I actually love about this, is that it's, it's absolute madness. It does not need to be in there. And it is only in there for, like, a cheap joke. Because uh, Kenta can't hear him, so he just picks a slot and goes for it. Which is glorious. uh, And a real Kenta move, I feel like. And then uh, it's like, whoop, 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 and everything flashes red. And he's like, oh no. And then it's like, bleep, blorp, everything's fine. He's like, oh. So they set this whole thing up. For this, like, very cheap joke. And then I we will never hear about it again. Like, I guarantee it. Oh, sure. 
So Delta Mega has now been... Now he can, like, shout Delta Mega install and Delta Mega will spring to action. Yes. Uh, it is not really clear what his... What the, like, the control mechanism is for Delta Mega. And uh, I think it's just, like, it's, well, it's automated. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to regret saying this because I feel like my, my watch and my phone are going to complain. Um, but it, basically, it, it's being operated by Siri. Yeah, effectively. And it did remind me, just for a second, about, um, about G Gundam. Oh, the man, one where, G like, Gundam. They, yeah, all of the Gundam, like, I feel like they did this one time in in Ranger. Oh, um, Conquer Ranger did this. Where they just, like, stood in the pilot room and did stuff, and the robot mimicked what they were doing. And that's what it was like in uh, G Gundam. And I just always thought that that was, like, extremely cool. I actually kind of want to go back and watch G Gundam. I'm sure the animation would be, like, hugely disappointing, mm-hmm. noting that it's, like, 25 years old or something at this point. But, uh... I mean, I don't know. I watched Gundam Wing a few years ago, and it really held up. But Gundam Wing is very good. And G Gundam, I think, was... Had clever bits. <laughs> yeah. Um... Anyways, uh, Delta is Delta Mega is on it. Like it flies down, it makes re-entry. Somehow, Mega Red just sort of stands in the cockpit while this re-entry is happening. Yeah, and also like it's not a cockpit really. Like this is like a like a server room. Like I don't think Delta Mega has a cockpit. I don't think that uh, Kenta is going to be piloting Delta Mega. I think it's more of a Tetra Boy situation where, like, he is just a robot with a computer brain, which is apparently super valuable, despite that earlier episode where it was very important to the robot not have a computer brain. Yeah, it is a weird, uh, it is sort of a weird moment. So- <laughs> anyway, but what's, what, what, what is very important about Delta Mega is that it, all of its fingers are gun barrels and then it turns its hands into Gatling lasers, and it's yeah. very dope. Yeah, he's got Gatling hands, and uh, I just feel like that's a good feature kind of for any robot. Like, if you're building a or robot any hand, anyways, really. yeah, just give, it, just give it Gatling laser hands. It's, uh, it's extremely good. Yeah. So uh, Delta Mega, he's just a, he's a big triangle boy, and then he turns into a Gatling hand robot. Mm-hmm. And then they basically just, like, blast Croc to yeah, they they defeat like, it's not they really. defeat Croc one and Croc two with the power of teamwork and also the power of lasers and I mean mostly the power of lasers, mostly the I'm power of Gatling gun fingers. Yeah, so uh, that's it. Now then they go back into space and it is a little bit weird because the scaffolding is still there on on Delta Mega. Maybe the scaffolding's there all the time doing repairs and we just don't notice it because we only see Galaxy Mega when he is, like, about ready to go fight again, and right. they've managed to get all the scaffolding off. Um, Shogo is back. He has, you know, taken his job back and now is uh, going to be fixing up the robots. And he's like, you know, the thing that I always like, despite the fact that I hate having to fix the robots every time you break my beautiful machines, is that uh, I, I really admire the fact that all of the damage on Galaxy Mega is all in the front of the robot. Like... It demonstrates to me that you are always fearlessly going into battle and never running from it. And that's cool. 
That is actually extremely cool. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a cool moment. Um, and then as they're all like being friends and shaking hands, there's this weird coda to this episode where Dr. Kubota is just like playing trumpet in another room. Specifically, and- he is playing I Dream of Genie with the light brown hair. It's just it's just what he's playing, Matt. There's no jokes about it. It's just a weird choice. Yeah, and, and, and they, they follow the sound of him playing it. And they open the door to the room where he is, and they look at him, and he looks at them, he continues to play the song, he finishes, and then they all smile, and that's the end of the episode. It's very weird. Uh, (laughs) It is the end of the episode, but But it's not the end of our episode. No, Dave, because first, we need to determine where Crocodile Nazare lands in the Creature Royale. Okay, so I I did Crocodile Nazare. He's as an as a character, he's a non-character, but as a monster, he's a pretty cool monster. He doesn't have much of a plan. Mm-hmm. But I do dig that he's he's like a new twist, right? He is uh you know, he's, he's a double this, monster. He's this, yeah, he's a double monster, and that's pretty rad. And what's fun is that when there is Crocodile Nazare one and Crocodile Nazare two, as you mentioned earlier, Crocodile Nazare one, one of his arms was like an alligator tail. But Crocodile Nazare 2, one of his arms, is a crocodile head. Yeah, it's a real uh, Tomax and Zaymot situation. They're kind of mirror crocodile monsters. Yeah, like, they are they are mirror crocodile monsters. It's fun. It hides in a swamp. They have to fight it for a while. It's a pain because there's two of them. It's not, like, great, but it's fine. Who was Shrimp Nazare, and do you like this guy better or worse than that guy? Oh, man. Who was Shrimp Nazare? Apparently not someone who was super memorable. Uh, Shrimp Nazare was... Yeah, I didn't remember. I had to look him up real real quickly. Um, but, you know, listen, that happens a lot. He is the... They had to get a shard. They got a shard of Galaxy Mega Saber and used that to, like... DNA splice a sword into his carapace, so he had like, like damage reduction versus slashing. Effectively, like he's not he he wasn't terribly, you know. I mean, he's he's slot number one forty, right? Oh, so that's not, like, right. Amazing. Oh, actually, this was the guy that they fought in the other episode with the the the, the episode we've been referencing, right? With the um, yeah, robot and AI. he does. He looked cool. He looks cool, and he has like a flying laser claw, and that's that's pretty rad. I mean, um, you know, actually, these guys are very similar, I think, because they're both ultimately forgettable monsters. It's just like animal monster that has been made in some way memorable or especially threatening by the addition of some kind of Nezare science to alter it, right? I am really, sometimes I wonder what was like going on in our head when we put things on this list. Because I'm thinking about Shrimp Nazare now, and it seems wild to me that he is higher than Zizi Giri, the kimchi lover, or H.H. Washoishoi, the festival man. I, I think, but honestly, whatever. it's the, the fight between Shrimp Nazare and Galaxy Mega at the oh, end of that episode it was, a really was good super fight. fun. It was a really good fight, that's right. But yeah, no, he should not be above Azuki or I, the Beanwasher. Like, that was a real character. Yeah, um, who I still remember. So I, I would say no, I, I don't like him that much. Um, as I'm looking down, I like him better than FF Munchori, the scandal photographer. 
Okay. So he that guy's at number sixty. Um, but that's man, that's really about it. I'm looking at like, yeah, I'm looking at camera dimension, chameleon, Nazare, and then above that is Easy Kiri, the kimchi lover. And you know what, man? I'm also a kimchi lover. So uh, I think he's got to go just above FF Manchori, but below chameleon, Nazare. I'm amenable to that. A couple spots above Man of Jars, and the sadly underutilized Sergeant Cannon, currently at number 164 on the list. I did like Sergeant Cannon. He just had a cool look. But he only had one shell. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah, that was a real oversight on his part. Cool. Okay, so he is the new number 160. And that, Dave, that is going to do it for another episode of The Spy Who Loved Mega Ranger. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter, we are at Super Sentai Bros. If you like the show, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on there. It would be very pleasant of you if you did. Big fan. Big fan of when that happens. Uh, the Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. If you'd like to listen to any of the other great Retrograde Orbit Radio shows, you can find them all at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.